I have been blessed throughout my priesthood to celebrate hundreds of baptisms, and that comes to mind on the second Sunday of Ordinary Time. Over the years, I've discovered that there are interesting ethnic baptismal traditions, some on the books and some off the books. For example, one grandma pinched her grandson to make sure he cried during the baptism. She told me afterwards, when a baby cries at a baptism, it releases all of its evil spirits. Okay, that's not true, but I guess go ahead and pinch anyway. I remember posing for a picture with a family after a baptism. They asked me to hold the baby who was screaming furiously. As I smiled widely for the picture, I looked down to see that the baby had a diaper blow-up all over my white vestment. To the horror of his parents, I carefully pulled the alb over my head, trying not to get poop in my hair, as the parents volunteered to take it to the cleaners. Can you imagine the stories when Johnny pooped on the priest during his baptism that made family lure? I'm amazed, amazed, what f- the tears that flow at baptisms, mostly by mothers, but also by fathers. One can sense the dreams spilling from their hearts as they want what is best for their child, most especially the gift of faith. I'm reminded what Zechariah proclaimed as he gazed on his son, John, the future Baptist. That is, you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of their sins. Perhaps he whispered John's mission in his ear over and over again late at night when he was fussy. So from his father's cradling arms, John's mission began to crystallize. He would be the Lord's forerunner and prepare his way by the preaching of the forgiveness of sins in his baptism of repentance. But there was no genie in the bottle to put his mission together. John prayed and sacrificed himself when he emerged from the desert. The press of the crowd of sinners most assuredly became stifling as he preached and baptized to the many people who came out to him. He most certainly had a support staff of disciples, if you will. We hear of Andrew in our gospel today, and another unnamed disciple that supported him that many believe to be St. John, the writer of the fourth gospel. I'm sure they were a tremendous comfort to John as he embraced the magnitude of his mission. But in the end, mindful of the plan that was spoken about in his father's arms, John's mission was not an end in itself. His mission was to point to someone else, the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ. One day, John was standing with two of his disciples when Jesus passed by. In my mind, I can see him in that moment thinking, well, all right then, that's him, the Lamb of God. In proclaiming so, John would fulfill the most important part of his mission. As a consequence, most of the commotion and excitement around him would decrease and go to Jesus, and he would die in relative obscurity and martyrdom. And right off the bat, he would lose those two disciples who immediately joined Jesus. 
Clearly, they don't recognize Jesus, but as the commissioned forerunner of Christ, John had been groomed to see and to show others the moment of their visitation. I picture John with tears in his eyes as he hands his mission and ministry and his disciples to the Master. Behold the Lamb of God, John proclaims. And the two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus, the scriptures tell us. And John had to let it go. As he pointed to the master, he sacrificed his reputation and street cred for the kingdom of God. He bolstered Jesus' mission and ministry given to him at his baptism in the Jordan when the father proclaimed from the heavens, This is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And John's mission decreased. Instantly, he goes from being the main character to a supporting one. It would be as God willed, and from a human perspective, that had to be hard. He doesn't get to to bring the mission to its conclusion himself. That is, he handed the mission to the Messiah and Lord for the good of all mankind. To a certain extent, in the process of evangelization, we must do the same. That is, we preach the good news and we pray for receptiveness of people. We can show them the love of Jesus and we sacrifice for others. But it is Jesus that changes the hearts like he changed Andrew and the other disciple. And the fruitfulness of Andrew's discipleship is almost instantaneous. And then like John... Really, he decreased. That is, Andrew raced to his brother Simon with the news that he had found the Messiah. And when Jesus sees Simon, he renames him Cephas, which means Peter. Renaming a person in biblical times pointed to a great mission that was to come. He would be the rock on whom Jesus would build his church. And there stood Andrew. If I were Andrew... I would have a name change as well. Maybe he felt the pain of what others might have called a slight. But he accepted it and followed the Lord. In John the Baptist's story, as well as St. Andrew's story, we see the mission clearly. They experienced the Messiah, invited others to know him at some cost to themselves, yet they humbly followed his direction in relative obscurity. In the initial moment of their discipleship, Jesus poses a serious question. What are you looking for? It's a hard question that they don't answer, deferring to the logistical question of where he was staying. But it's a good question for life, isn't it? What are you looking for? What were you looking for when you got into your car this morning and came here? People answer the question in a million different ways in life. Many this week were looking for a get-rich-quick plan, playing the lottery. After so much vitriol and anger, many others are looking for peace and quiet and a promise that this crazy world is going to be okay. But all these dreams are pretty low-brow, really. Seems to me that when the God of the universe asks the question, we should go for the gusto, the happiness of eternal life, of course. In our first reading today, we hear the dramatic call of Samuel when God himself directly calls him in the middle of the night. 
But that's an exception rather than the rule. Actually, most of us were called by an Andrew. And if he didn't listen, St. Peter, the rock on whom Jesus built the church, would have missed the call, at least for that day. And the ripple effects of humble Andrew brought his brother to Jesus, who would become the rock. And then it was John the Evangelist. If it was John the Evangelist who joined Jesus, he later led millions to Christ by his written words. You know, we live in troubled times, in a troubled world, and many have asked me, what should we be doing? What should we be looking for? How do we correct what ails us? Well, I say let's go back to the basics with a pretty simple formula. That is, we encounter Jesus today in word and sacraments. Then we are called to live a life of holiness that includes carrying the cross for a greater good, decreasing in humility so that Jesus may increase as we share him with others. And whether they accept the invitation to encounter Jesus is between them and God. So like John the Baptist and Andrew and John the Evangelist and Peter, have we found what we are looking for in Jesus Christ? Are we prepared to suffer during the process of discipleship for Jesus? Have we invested in that relationship enough to share Jesus with others who are lost and in the shadow of death? Will you be another Andrew for someone who needs Jesus? This is what we should be looking for during troubled times that will bring us peace.